0: If you turn with me this morning to the 21st chapter of the book of John, I'd like to take some time to discuss some things that are found in this chapter. Particularly, we're going to focus our attention beginning with verse 15. And so then when they had died, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? And he said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, Feed my lambs. And he saith again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. And he saith unto him, Feed my sheep. And he saith unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, "Thou knowest all things. thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. The book of John is written in order to solicit faith. John is trying to show a contrast all the way through the book between belief and unbelief. He shows us throughout the book that belief is reasonable. And he shows how unreasonable unbelief is. He gives evidence to support the belief that we have that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. John is selective in the miracles that he records in the book. He selects eight of the miracles. And these eight miracles each teach a lesson. But the eight miracles that he selects shows how reasonable it is to believe that Jesus is God's Son. But against that background, and in between those miracles, you'll find the unbelief of the Pharisees or even the religious people of the day of John. And he shows how unreasonable it is to fail to believe that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God. The 20th chapter of the book of John Closed, as you'll recall, by Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas many times. Thomas wanted evidence that indeed Jesus had been risen from the dead. And the 30th and the 31st verses tell us that many of the signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that believing you might have life through his name. Many people in studying the book of John see the first 20 chapters and in their mind, that's it. Why chapter 21? It seems as though the thing that John had set out to do is finished. And so there are those that conclude that sometime later, that someone unknown, came along and wrote chapter 21 to add it to the book of John. But I think as we study chapter 21, we'll see that indeed John did write John 21, and that John 21 is necessary. Without John 21, the faith that is established in the first 20 chapters of the book would be no good. It would not save one. Because it takes the love of John 21 to complete the faith that's found in the first 20th chapter. The background of the 21st chapter is found in John chapter 20. When Jesus says, beginning in verse 21, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost." And whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. That's John's account of the Great Commission. It's given in John specifically to the apostles. Having to do with their apostolic authority, and they're carrying the gospel around the world and the recorded message that we have in the New Testament today. But I want you to note what takes place when you come to John 21. Here's Jesus. He's died. He has been resurrected. He's going to ascend shortly to the Father. Here are the apostles. John 21 tells us that they've now come together. Simon, Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. John 21.3 says, Peter says, let's go fishing. Well, it didn't take long when he said, Let's go fishing. The others say, We go with you. Now, the real significance of that is not the fact that here are some fellas that liked fish. We liked fish. But the real significance of this is here are some folks that made their living fishing. Jesus has died, He's now been resurrected from the dead. Are they going to go back to fishing? The twelve had been selected to carry the gospel to the world. They had been selected as apostles to be sent. Are they going to carry out that mission? Are they going to carry out that work? John 20 closes and they believe that Jesus Christ has been resurrected from the dead. They understand he's the Messiah that had been promised in the Old Testament. Let's just go fishing. Let's go back to our work. Well, they go fishing. They have fished. They've caught nothing. Verse three says, "They see Jesus. They know not now or at this point that this is the Messiah." Jesus said unto them, "Children, have you no meat?" They asked him, "No." He said, cast your net on the right side of the ship and you shall find. They cast therefore, now they were not able to draw in the multitude of the fishes. When they did exactly what the Lord said, God provided for them. In this multitude of fishes comes the lesson that without God's provision, life is incomplete. Without God's provision, life is simply a failure they caught nothing. But with the provision of God, one can be successful and it's only when one allows his life to be lived into the hands of, in the hands of the living God to uphold him to support him, to protect him that life can be a complete success. But I want us to note some lessons that are found in John 21, beginning of verse 15, that I think are very significant. It's very interesting. Here's Simon Peter. In John chapter 21, verse 15, Jesus says unto him, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? And he asked him the same question three times. I don't know whether it's any significance Any significance to the fact that three times Simon had denied the Lord. And now three times he asked him this question. But at any rate, three times he says, Simon, do you love me? They had the faith of the first 20 chapters of the book of John. They believed that Jesus was the Christ, but without the love, as we'll see in our study of John 21. The gospel would never have gone around the world. Men would have remained lost. Because it takes the love of John twenty one to motivate the faith of John one through twenty to do what the Lord said do. I want us to notice a number of things about this, and we'll study it this morning some and again tonight. But let's begin by looking at this verse, verse fifteen. Note, he says, "Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these." And that's very interesting to me. I really don't know what the answer is. There are two thoughts on that verse. The word "these" is in the Greek to tone. That don't mean much, but this is significant. It's the plural. Either the masculine plural or the neuter plural. And I think that's significant. If it's the neuter plural, the context has to determine, and it's really, really hard in this context to determine which it is. But if it's the neuter plural, there's a great lesson about it. And if it's the masculine plural, there's also a great lesson about it. As I say, I don't know which it is. But let's just assume it's the neuter plural. If it is the neuter, plural, what Jesus is asking Simon is, Simon, do you love me more than you love fishing? Do you love me more than you love this meat? The Lord had said, have you not any meat? And now they've cooked and they've dined. And if it, if it is indeed should be in the neuter and Both the neuter and the masculine are the same, so we can't tell except for the context. He's saying, Do you love me more than the material things of life? Now think about it. They have the faith of the first 20 chapters of the book of John, but suppose they love the Lord less than the material things of life. Would the gospel go around the world? They make the sacrifices that are needed. John, throughout the book, has shown the danger of a man living for material things. In the sixth chapter of the book of John, you'll recall that there are people in John 6 that follow the Lord for the loaves and the fishes. Verse 15 tells us that they tried to take him by force and to make him king. And then he teaches them a lesson. He tells them in verse 27, Labor not for meat which perishes, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath the Father sealed. And so he says, Don't live for the material things of this life. You've got to labor for the meat that is lasting meat. He tells them, I'm the true bread that came down from heaven, verse 32, verse 33. And that's the bread that gives life. That's what living is all about. And without that, one is lost. There's no hope. There were a great multitude of folks following. He was very popular. He preached this sermon. And he says... Don't live for the material things. You live for eternal things. You live for spiritual things. And I think it's sad that the Bible says, upon this or from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Jesus turned to the 12 and he said, Would you also go away? Would also go away? Now, it may very well be in John 21 that that's what the Lord's talking about. For it's Simon Peter that says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Ah, wow. oh, you remember, though, that that's not the end of the account. In Luke 22, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, verse 31, Satan hath desired you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. That may very well be that Peter was on the verge of allowing the material things of life to control him. That's what he said in, Matthew, in John chapter 21, verses 1 through 3. Let's go fishing. Let's just go back to these things. And so the Lord may be reminding him now, Peter, there are some values that are more important. There's some meat that's a lot more important than this fish is. And if you love me enough, You won't live for fish, but you'll live to serve me and to do my will. And my will will take priority in your life. The Bible teaches throughout that there's a real danger that material things can catch all of us. In Mark chapter 4, when Jesus gives his first parable, he talks about verse 19 The seed that was sown among the thorns. And he says, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and lust for other things, entering in, choke the word out, and it becometh unfruitful. If these, indeed, it should be in the neuter in John 21, that's what was about to take place in Peter's life. The cares of the world were about to choke out the word, that it was going to become unfruitful. And the Lord's reminding him, look, Peter, you need to love me more than you love the material things of this life. But then there's the other side. What if it's in the masculine? And it could go either way. And I think there's a great lesson in it for us in either case. Simon, do you love me more than these other disciples? Isn't that exactly what Simon had claimed? Is that not what he had said? You'll recall the occasions of that. If you have your Bible with you, turn with me first back to Matthew chapter 26, and let's look together. I begin reading in Matthew twenty six thirty one. Then Jesus said unto them, All ye shall be offended of me this night. For it is written, I'll smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. For after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. And Peter answered and said unto them, Though all men be offended because of thee, yet I'll never be offended. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you this night before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter said unto him, Though I die with thee, yet I'll not deny thee. And likewise said all the other disciples. Well, you just look at these accounts in Matthew 26 and Mark 14 and Luke 22 and in John 13. And Peter says, I love you more than the rest of them. They may all be offended, but not me. Now the Lord's really getting down to the heart of matters. Peter claimed a superior love. He claimed a superior loyalty. He compared himself to these other apostles, and he said, Lord, I love you more than every one of them does. I'll die if that's what it takes. I'll give my life. I'll lay my life on the line. Because, you see, I'm more loyal than they are. And I'll have a love that's greater than the love that they have. But did he? It may very well be when we measure our own estimate of our love of the Lord. It may not be what we thought it was. Peter's was not. Peter was not quite as loyal as he thought he was. He was overconfident. Satan did indeed desire to have every one of them. Luke twenty-two thirty-one, and he took them and he sifted them as wheat, and he proved they were all hypocrites. And there had to be some changing take place. Seems to me as I read John 21 that this is the time that Peter really begins to see things as they really are. You turn over and read Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, John 13. And you wouldn't have a Peter that could stand up on Pentecost and declare God's name so forcefully. Come to Acts 3. And the Sanhedrin say, Wait, Peter, you hush. Be dragged up before the court in Acts 4. And say, I don't want you to preach in his name anymore. And pull him back up again in Acts 5. His loyalty really being tested. And Peter say, you must obey God rather than men. He wasn't there in John 21, but he was getting there. I think it's significant when it says, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these. And it doesn't matter whether it's the neuter or whether it's the masculine. If it is indeed the neuter and it's talking about you love me more than this bold and these fish and this job of fishing, then that points to the material things of life and the context supports that. Seems to me that that's what John's trying to say throughout the book. But then again, you look at it from the standpoint of it being the masculine, and sure, that fits Peter. And we're going to see in a minute it may fit him even more closely. And so... Do you love the Lord more than you love these? Number two. I think it's interesting that there are two words that are used in the Greek here to describe love. And there are a number of lessons about that. Most of us, I think, are familiar with the fact that here in John chapter 21, Jesus said, Do you love me more than these? And the word love there is the word ag- agape. Agape. It's a higher quality of love. And then Peter answers with the word is not quite that strong. Peter says, I phileo you. And that word means to cherish. It's not of the same height of quality as the word Agapol. And then again, you see in verse 16, he asked him the second time, Jesus uses a strong word again. Peter uses the less strong word again. But then the third time, Jesus drops down a notch. And Jesus uses the same word that Peter used. Then Peter answers again with that same word. I think we're cheated in a way when we read. Do you love me? Peter says, yes, I love you. Are you right sure you love me? And Peter says, Yes, I'm sure I love you. Yes, sure I love you. Now, I will to ask you again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Yes, I love you. Unless we recognize the distinction that there is in those words. Because it may very well be that this kind of sets what's taking place in the life of Peter. I want us to look, note something about these words. And I jotted down some things. The word mean is a word that means to love unselfishly to the point that one should be willing to sacrifice. I used to say, and I got thinking about this in preparation of this lesson, that it was loving the unloving. I no longer believe that. I was wrong about that, folks. Because God's not unloving. Now in some context it might mean to love the unloving, but it certainly can't be here because there's nothing unlovable about the Lord. And so the word means beyond a shadow of a doubt as to love unselfishly to the point that you'd be willing to sacrifice. This love indicates a direction of the will and finding joy in anything. This love is a matter of the will of the mind or it's a matter of action. It is unconditional love. It's Christian love. It's not merely an emotional experience which comes to us unbidden or unsought. It's a deliberate principle of the mind. It's a deliberate conquest of one's mind. It's an achievement, a conquest of the will. It's self-giving love. It's the highest kind of love. Now, the word phileo does not mean this unselfish, sacrificial love. It's a friendship love. It means to have affection for. Her. Brother McCord, if I recall correctly, in his translation, translates John 21, 15. Peter, do you love me? And he says, I have affection for you. And I think that's the way it ought to be translated. It gives a warm personal feeling or aspect to love. It's to love with a sense of personal attachment. This love sees something attractive in another person. He's magnetized by that attractiveness. It could be translated cherish. It means to look on with affectionate regard. It includes physical love, but it's much besides physical love. Art and Gendrick said that it means to love, to have affection for, or to lack. Now you realize there are two more Greek words. The Greeks had four words to describe love. There's Ariel, which is the sexual love. And then there's storge, which is the love of a family. But the two words that are used here is the love agapol or agape, And this is the highest kind of love and that's what it takes to carry the gospel around the world. But it takes agape plus phileo love to get the job done. Think about this now. Here's Peter. You look at Peter back in Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, John 13. He said, I'm more loyal than anybody else. I've got the highest kind of regard for you. I've got the highest kind of love for you. I love you to the nth degree. And you remember how overconfident he was. And thinking about Peter, it always comes to mind what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Now you see a Peter who's fallen. He's been penitent. He almost slipped away to the point of going back to fishing, giving up, quitting, if you will, in our situation, quitting the church. Now he's coming back. The Lord says, Peter, do you love me to the highest extent? Peter very humbly says, Lord, no, but I do like you. The Lord says, Peter, do you really love me? Peter says, no, Lord, I wouldn't go that far. I couldn't say that much. But I do like you. And the Lord said, Peter, are you right sure you like me? He said, Lord, I know you know all things. You know I really like you. And he says, Peter, tend my sheep. You remember in Luke 22, verse 31, he says, Satan desires to have you that may sit you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee. That thy faith will not utterly be destroyed, the Greek says. That thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. Can you think about Peter, so self-confident, going around and strengthening brethren? If any be overtaken in a fault or trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness Considering thyself, lest I also be tempted. I can see old Peter going around trying to strengthen brethren with the attitude he had in Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, and John 13. Looking down his nose at him saying, I'm better than you are. Now he's ready to strengthen brethren. Now he's ready to carry the gospel of the world. Peter has a different attitude. That self-confident spirit that said, Though they ought to die, I won't. Is now ready to say, Lord, you know when I'm pressed, I don't know what I'll do. But I'll do the best I can. And I asked us this morning the question the Lord asked. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And I think the significance again of the fact that there's two words found here points to the fact that my love can grow. Love's not stagnant, but it ought to grow. Peter's love could grow Where that he would come from this natural affection he'd have for the Lord. To an unselfish love. That'd be willing to sacrifice. You read the book of 1 Peter. In obedience to the truth. Under unfamed Agapol of the brethren. See that you Agapol one another with a pure heart fervently to have that higher kind and quality of love. Peter's love is now growing. You see him claiming he'd never be disloyal and he was. But look at the same man. Walk down the pages of the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts and see that love grow. If there's ever a lesson needed in the church of my Lord today, that's it. Because we'll see tonight a further significance and importance of this love. If you're not a Christian this morning, won't you love the Lord and keep his commandments? Won't you come this morning in fight, turning from sin, confessing before this assembly, be immersed for the forgiveness of sin to put him on? Jesus loved you enough to die for you. He was willing to pay the supreme sacrifice. But in return, he wants your life. Bring that life to him this morning by your obedience to the truth. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You can do that today while together we stand and sing, come now.